0: Welcome to Podcasts, recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. As many of you know, we've gone back to basics. We're doing our crazy recap of everything you wanted to know about the science of mind in four easy lessons. So we're, we're on lesson number three, but let me do the briefest of recaps for you, if you don't mind. So the first week we talked about God, that essence of all things. And, and of course, we're in agreement with most of the world's religions. God is all powerful, all wise, everywhere present. Where we are a little bit unique though, I think, is the idea of God everywhere present because God is everything. So instead of some religions where they believe that God uh, kind of created the heavens and the earth and then stepped back and is kind of looking down and uh, slightly judging, no, we, we don't go with that. Our idea is God is fully imminent. God is right here with us. And as we learned last week, Last week we learned that that means us as well, that spirit is part of who we are. And in fact, in the world of humans, God gets God's business done through humans. And so that was a, a point of reflection last week that when we're talking to someone else, we're talking to another part of God. When we're uh, doing our business in the world, we're doing our business on behalf of spirit itself. And that kind of sets up a different sort of uh, relationship that we might have with our friends in the world and our co-workers, because truly we're acting on behalf of spirit. It's how spirit gets spirit stuff done in the world. Well, today I want to ask... Add on to that. How, how does Spirit get Spirit's work done in the world? And the name of the talk is uh, What It Does, and I can summarize it so very easily for you. What it does is it uses your thought to create it's just as simple and, and, of course, as we're about to find out, just as complicated <laughs> as that. But let me read a, a quote from, uh, from this third chapter of the Science of Mind textbook written by Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind. He says, we are surrounded by a mind or intelligence that knows everything. It knows that that potential knowledge of all things exists in this mind and that the abstract essence of beauty and truth and wisdom, it coexists in the mind of the universe and therefore in our minds as well. We also exist right in it and may draw from it. But what we draw from it, we must draw through the channel of our own minds. Uh, We call it a co-creative force. We call it the divine creative process that literally our thoughts become things. Now, uh, I always think this is interesting because especially with new people, someone will come up to me afterwards and say, well, Larry, it almost sounds like you believe in mind over matter, that that if I think a certain thing and believe it in my heart of hearts, that, well, that that's going to come to fruition in the world. And, And of course, you couldn't possibly mean that. (laughs) <laughs> they don't know me very well yet. <laughs> Those would be the new people, right? Because we absolutely do believe that that our thinking does have an effect on the world. And in fact, I, I want to use a, a few examples today before we get back to Ernest Holmes. Uh, I love collecting examples of mind over matter. And I, I came across a really striking one the other day that I wanted to share with you. So, so this was a study that was done a few years ago in Houston, Texas, as part of the VA hospital there. And the Baylor College of Medicine. I suppose I ought to give you a little background. So, the study was on osteoarthritis of the knee. So, people having arthritis in their knees. And, and of course, it affects so many millions of people across the world. You probably know someone who has that condition. And so, you'll know it's very painful to walk, it limits mobility, and so on. And up until about 10 years ago, they had two competing things that they liked to do before they would do a knee replacement. Of course, the knee replacement, you know, a serious kind of operation that has a long recovery time. And so up until about 10 years ago, there were a couple competing therapies. One, they would use a very non-invasive kind of surgery to go in and just shave off some of the material that was causing the problem. And then at exactly the same time, though, other doctors said, oh, no, we believe in this other theory by which they, it's almost like taking a sanding belt in there. Again, orthoscopically, tiny little incision, they would sand it and then flush it out using a fluid. Anyway, this particular study, they wanted to literally figure out, well, which is better? You know, some of the doctors think this is better. Some of the doctors think this is better. We ought to do a study so that we're really recommending what works best to people, right? A a nice idea, right? So they rounded up 180 different people that had that particular condition. The surgery was free, but there was a hitch, A third of the people would only think they got the surgery, right? The whole idea of the double-blind experiment. So one third of the people, they went in orthoscopically, shaved off the material that was causing the pain, sewed them back up, sent them to physical therapy. One third of the people, orthoscopic surgery, they flushed out the material using whatever means they did that, sent them to physical therapy. And one third of the people, they made the tiniest little incision just in the skin of their kneecap, put two stitches in it, and sent them off to physical therapy. (laughs) Guess what group did best? (laughs) Now, some of you may not even believe this, and and if you want to study the article, it's been well-published, the group that did best was the group that really didn't have any invasive surgery at all, the group that simply believed they would be able to walk better with no pain. So they don't actually offer those surgeries anymore, even though at the time they thought they were effective. Well, of course, we know why they were effective. They were effective just for the same reason that the group that didn't have anything done to them was effective. They were effective because the people were told and they believed that it would be effective. I want to throw out one more tidbit from this study. So they did follow-ups two full years later, guess which group of the three was still doing better? Still the group that only just believed that they would be helped by this. So not only was it effective in the short term, but also effective in the long term. In ministerial school, they make sure we're well-rounded in the Bible, and I had to take three or four Bible classes, and I remember at the end of one of our sessions, the teacher left the room, and so here were about a dozen students, none of us who had had all that much experience with the Bible before, discussing in the room our, our take on some of the Bible stories after the professor had left. And so the subject turned into the idea of the miracles that are present, especially the miracles that Moses did and some of the miracles of Jesus, some of the healings and things like that. And, and I still remember this one uh, gentleman in ministerial school said, so, so what do we make about those miracle things, right? We're supposed to take it more metaphorically, right? So when, so when the fellow was cured of his blindness, it didn't really mean that his eyes were healed. It, it meant that he had a sudden insight, a sudden wisdom, right? And so we're all just really tentative about this, right? Were the miracles really physical healings or were they more metaphorical? Well, I got to tell you, I'm actually in the miracle camp. I see no reason to believe that the accounts that are miraculous, if you will, in the Old and New Testaments didn't really happen. And, And I'll tell you why because people expected them to happen. People were used to miracles. They didn't even have a word like placebo 2000 years ago, right? Today, we do our darndest to explain away miracles. That wasn't a miracle. That was the placebo effect. Right, we can explain it through this very scientific. Th- I mean, I know most of us won't even understand it, but if you follow this and you follow this and you follow this and you follow this, it's not even a miracle. We could have expected it to happen two thousand years ago when when Lazarus raised from death. They didn't say, "Oh, well, maybe he was just in a coma. Maybe he was just sleeping." Right? It was a miracle. I would like to suggest that miracles are still here for us when we're willing to accept them. When in our own hearts and in our own minds, we know and accept something to be true, that is what causes this co-creative effect to make a change in our world. So Ernest Holmes says, uh, thoughts become things. He talks about the divine creative process. He basically says that God gets God's work done through us. And more specifically through our thinking, as we have thoughts positive and negative, those have an effect on our world, on our bodies, on our relationship with other people, Uh, Literally, we reform our experience of the world based on what we believe to be true about it. Now this, of course, has, what do they call it, the good news and the bad news story. And, and I, I would be doing you a disservice if I don't cover both of them. So, so, so first, the good news. The good news is so many of us have strong spiritual practices. So many of us have in prayer, for the healing of the planet for the love of the people we care about. So many of us have, have firmly in our mind that sense of connection to other people and other places and, and wishes the best for our fellows and so on and so forth. And all of those thoughts have that co-creative power of working with spirit to bring about more of it. When we stand for love and peace and joy, we will see more love and peace and joy in our lifetime. When we hold up the idea of our jobs as being beautiful and, and suitable and rewarding, we will be rewarded in those jobs. And when we find a relationship that we really treasure and and see those loved ones from the, the light of love with a capital L itself, that absolutely is returned to us without any question or stipulations. So that's the good news. The bad news is when we have a lot of negative thoughts going through our mind when we when we hold the political system in this country in our mind as corrupt when we think of our co-workers as less than or terrible when we when we make trouble in our relationships and call each other's names and harass one another unfortunately that also enters into this divine creative process. You know, I've heard it said, uh, what goes around comes around. What I've heard said is what I put out will come back to me. And that's all part of this divine creative process. When when I am an idiot to other people in the world, I can expect idiocy right back in my face. And so that's the, that's the bad news, is when we're having a bad day, when we internalize that and view ourselves in that way, we're apt to have quite a few more bad days as well. Literally, what I what I put out, and, and of course I'm a, a child of a certain era. Remember the idea of putting out a bad vibe? <laughs> Some of you at least are old <laughs> enough to know what that means and I appreciate it. When we're slinging out those bad vibes, all I gotta say is let that be a warning to you. Because what you put out will come back to you. Absolutely. And so when we put out that vibe, those good thoughts, those, those sweet beliefs, those, those internal commitments to love and life, when our intentional thinking is around good things and wonderful outcomes, those are the people whose lives, they just seem charmed. Now we're, we're back into the miracle thinking, and I don't mind a bit. Have you ever known someone whose life just seems charmed, right? Right? It's a miracle and it's not. It's a miracle and it's not because they're putting out the charm. They're viewing life from those rose-colored glasses. They're, they're sensing that goodness and that beauty and they're accepting it and internalizing it. And so, so the charm is the charm they've done to themselves. And you can too. Now, here's where I do sometimes get a little bit of pushback, because sometimes people will view what I'm saying as, well, we all ought to become Pollyannas. We all ought to ignore some of the bad stuff that's going on in the world and instead just put on the happy face. (laughs) And and I would say, you know, there's there's maybe something there a little bit, because sometimes by my putting on the happy face, even if it's a little bit plasticky, it reminds me to put on the happy thoughts. It reminds me of what my life can be. It reminds me of the positives. And so my train of thought may be interrupted from negativity and viewing the world as a bad place or an unsafe place. And so if it does require me to trick myself by putting on the happy face, if it does, uh, if it does fool myself into realizing a better reality, then I'm all for it. But I'm not suggesting we have to escape from reality. I mean, there's still stuff to be done in the world. I, I still have to make sure I'm voting for candidates that will stand up for me in the political system. I still have to pay my bills. I still have to do the things that are necessary in the world. And at the same time, I don't want to dwell on it as though it's all a mess, because when I do that, I'm going to get more mess. So even as I'm paying those bills, I hold on high the vision of abundance for myself. As I'm casting that vote, I'm seeing the political system as one that is healed and whole and able to support all of us. Even as I'm doing the day-to-day work in what might be less than, in my mind, I'm more than. In my mind, I hold dear to me that acceptance of life as I would choose to have it, because I know that my thoughts become things. All right, I want to pitch uh, my joke for you today, if you don't mind. So a customer was bothering the waiter in a restaurant. First, he asked that the air conditioning be turned up because he was too hot. And then a few minutes later, he asked the waiter that it be turned down again because he was too cold. And this went on throughout the meal. The customer never seemed satisfied. Well, surprisingly, the waiter was very patient. He walked back and forth, never once got angry. Customer from across the room noticed what was going on and asked the waiter why he didn't just throw out the pest. Oh, I don't really care. I don't even mind, said the waiter with a smile. We don't even have air conditioning. Yeah. And so I, I guess what I'm asking you is to pretend that you have the air conditioning you need. What I'm asking you is to begin viewing your life as though you have everything that you need and you want. Now now again, I'm not suggesting that, that we don't deal in the physical world. We, we have to do the things we need to do to participate on planet Earth. Totally get that. But I'm worried about where you're headed, not where you've been. And I want to ensure that your tomorrow is brighter than your today. That your tomorrow has more love in it, more life in it, more health in it, more joy in it, more peace in it. Everything that you could want or dream of or desire, I would like to see you making progress towards it. And you will be able to do that if your thoughts pave the way if your thinking takes a few steps along the path of where you'd like to be rather than being stuck where you came from. So if you've come from a place where there's been a lack of love or if you've come from a place where there hasn't been enough financial wherewithal to to cover your bills, if you come from a place where relationships are difficult or, or a job has been stinky, Let us leave that behind at least in our minds and picture ourselves in the relationship that's beautiful. Be able to embrace the idea of a job where our our skills are well used and we're well paid. Think of ourselves in that position of having what we want and almost make it as real as we can. And even if that's pretending that we have air conditioning when we don't, that's okay. Because when our minds are organized in such a way that we really see ourselves living the good life, living a life of love and peace and joy, that is what will bring it to us. Now you can think of this power that that Spirit shares with us, this co-creative power. Sometimes we call it the divine creative process. You can think of it almost like a magnet. Our thoughts are, are almost what you might say magnetic. And the more often we have a train of thought, the more clearly we visualize and believe in a certain situation, it's almost like the power of that magnet just gets cranked up to where you're almost irresistible to that thing you desire. In fact, I like to think of it as the thing is seeking me almost as much as I'm seeking it. And whether that think is a a new job or an improved relationship or a health situation that's cleared up, the more I believe that I have it, that I am it, that I support it, that I accept it into my life, the more magnetic I am, the more that that outcome is seeking me. And why, you might ask? It's because we're all connected in that way that we talked about last week. We are doing God's work in the world. So why wouldn't God want us to prosper? Why wouldn't God want to experience that prosperity? Why wouldn't I draw to me perfect health? Why wouldn't God enjoy feeling perfect health through me? Do you see there's every reason to think that spirit is on our side because spirit gets to enjoy that good even as we're enjoying it. It's the nature of God to be in and as and through all. So we, when we have good outcomes, spirit has good outcomes. And so it's not just you in your, your own mind thinking this is something that's just going to affect me and, and I'm being greedy by wanting the good life. You're not being greedy. You're allowing spirit to experience more of its own good. Have you thought of it that way before? Oftentimes we get, we get wound up in thinking, well, I'm just so small and unimportant way. Why should God be worried about uh, listening to my prayers? Or, or why, why should I be anything special? You are just as special as spirit itself because you're part of that divinity. Your desires are part of God desiring the best for itself and for everyone. So of course, of course, there's nothing wrong with desiring better outcomes, with, with orienting our, our minds and our hearts towards more love, more life, more joy, more peace. And it will be Spirit's good pleasure to do its darndest to help you with that. That's that co-creative process, where our, our mind goes, where our thoughts go, therefore our lives go. One last thing, and then we'll move on to a summary. The last thing I wanted to mention is, now remember the very first week we talked about spirit as not being that guy on the cloud in the golden throne, peering down and judging, right? We talked about spirit being fully imminent. That's important too, because sometimes I, I notice that people think that somehow they have to project their thoughts or their prayers. They have to think, I got to work really hard at making this prayer go all the way to heaven, <laughs> right? I need to stand out. I need to, you know, dress special so that God will notice how, how important this prayer is. Really, because God is everywhere present, because your thoughts, your consciousness is part of God's consciousness, the only person you need to convince is you. The only person, the only entity, the only consciousness that needs to be able to accept what you desire in your heart is you. So you don't have to telegraph your prayers anywhere. You don't have to do anything special. And they work just as well silently as out loud and so on and so forth. Because it's your thinking that's the prayer. And as long as you believe your own thoughts, that's all that's required. Now, some of you are going, well, what if I'm not sure? What if I don't quite believe that this is the way this works? Or, or what if I look around me and I notice that other people who have their knees worked on are still having trouble with it, right? Back to our, our example. What do I need to do to get on board with just thinking about my knees being fine and then my knees will be fine? Well, of course, here's the rub, isn't it? Do we have perfect faith? Probably not in the beginning. Probably not in the beginning. In the beginning, we might want to practice a little bit in our prayers and noticing that our thoughts become things. We might want to build up a little bit on this idea. And here, of course, comes our homework for this week. I call it the Ernest Holmes Challenge. In one of Ernest Holmes' other books, he suggests that we take the challenge of noticing that our thoughts become things. And so that's your homework for this week. I would like you to take an area in your life where there is, shall we say, an issue up for you. So Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a co-worker at work that's being really stinky. Maybe it's a personal relationship you have that's having some problems. Whatever it is, take, a, take something that's being an issue for you right now and begin editing your thoughts. So as best you can, when you have a negative thought about that issue, try to squash that. So, so let's imagine that you're having trouble with a coworker, someone that you just think is a total jerk on the job, right? And, and it's giving you lots of grief or, or a boss that's just horrible. Well, when those thoughts come up, I want you, as best you can, first of all, to stop the negative thinking. So if you're thinking, you know, that boss is just a jerk, smile to yourself and say, say, oh, wait a minute, that's right. <laughs> I'm going to have more positive thoughts about that. And then instead, see if you can re- begin replacing it with ideas of, you know, this is a great job that I'm in and the coworkers there treat me fairly. And, and now I know what you're saying is, Larry, you're asking me to imagine the air conditioning. And it's true. I'm asking you to visualize and say things in your own mind that aren't true yet that aren't true quite yet. And that's okay. And so the Ernest Holmes challenge, as best you can, edit your thinking to have a a better picture of where you're gonna be, of how this situation might come out. In fact, a nice thing that I like to do is to visualize this particular issue or situation as though it were completely resolved as though it were resolved in the most fabulous way that suited everybody and you feel completely at ease now with these same people or with this same issue. And just visualize it. Think of the thoughts that would go with it. Picture yourself in it. Really paint yourself an amazing picture of how life would be and then see yourself in it. And the challenge is a simple one. Do this for two weeks and make a note of how you feel at the end of two weeks. And I will tell you, nearly everyone will say this situation surprisingly, sometimes even shockingly, has improved. And it has been through the power of your own thinking. But the challenge is, prove it to yourself, please. You you know, taking my word for it is sweet and I I appreciate that you believe me, Uh, but this will really start working for you when you show yourself that it works. So that's the Ernest Holmes challenge. Quickly to recap, I'll cover the whole series up till now. God is all there is. God is imminent, meaning right here, alive and working and co-creating in your own world. We're each an individualized center of spirit. So we're not we're not somehow divorced from God. We are part of spirit. And then today we added that fourth principle God responds to our thinking. The divine creative process is at work and my thoughts tend to outpicture in the world. Well, I'm going to close with another quote from uh, chapter three of the Science of Mind textbook and a prayer. He says, when we think, something happens to our thought. The field through which thought operates is infinite. There's no reason to doubt it. And so no matter how it is approached to thought, there can be no limit. So we will say that it is the nature of being to react in this way. Here and now, we are surrounded by and immersed in an infinite good. How much of this infinite good is ours? All of it. And how much of it may we have to use as much of it as we can embody in our thinking? Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one love. There is only this one thing that I call call God, Of course, you can call it spirit, you can call it the thing itself, you can call it Allah. What I know about it is that that's all there is, and that includes me, that God's love is my love to experience, God's abundance is mine to use, that the connection I have with spirit means that the love, the life, the joy, the peace, the happiness that that is on high is also available to me and working through me. And so today I, I add in this certainty that, that God is always, always reacting to my thinking, that my thoughts are simply creative. And as it is true for me, it is true for everyone. Each of us, as we, we have held close to us, the desires of our heart. So that co-creative power of spirit is at hand to take those thoughts and turn them into things to take the love, the light, the joy, the peace that's in our heart and our mind and reflect that back to us. And so for this, for this, I am eternally grateful, recognizing that the better gardener I am in my own mind, the better fruits I see before me. And so I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself, I let it be. And together we say, And so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you're here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners, our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at CSLPortland.org/donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.